He's supposed to be the uh, real life <coughs> basis for James Bond. His name was Jusko Popov. He was a Czechoslovakian playboy who became a double agent and a double crossing, uh, double crossing the Nazis during World War II. And over and over again, he goes to this little uh, seaside resort town in Portugal. And over and over again, it looks like his life is going to be over. Like he's, there's no way that he can possibly get through this. He has to go and he has to, he has to try to, try to double cross. He has to go and try and deceive. He has to go and lie. He has to go and try and find a way through. And over and over, he goes in into what the, the title of the book is, Into the Lion's Mouth. He's about to die. There's no way out. It's going to come to an end. Our lives are not usually so death-defying. But there are certain times in our lives where we come to a point where we think, how am I going to keep going after this? What's going to happen next? I can't see. I can't understand. I don't know how God could, co could possibly be working through any of this. Where is, where is God? Is God going to help me? What can I do? There is no possible good. There is no good way for this to end. When we're in those situations, I, sometimes it's hard, to, it's hard to know what to say. And yet, hopefully, we can look back on past situations in our lives. Hopefully, we can look back on the situation even that we might be in now. Hopefully, we can look at the stories of the scriptures, how God works, and we can know God is working. God is working for my salvation. God is working for my deliverance. God is working for my good. That's what I hope you'll see today, is that even when, even when we are in our own little ways, into, in the lion's mouth, even when our own lives seem to be hanging by a thread, even when we are on the razor's edge, God is working for us. God is working for our good. Even when it looks like the day is as dark as it can possibly be, there is always the hope of resurrection. Today we're going to be, we're going to start in 2 Samuel 16. 2 Samuel 16. And what we'll see first is the traitor's counsel accepted. The traitor's counsel accepted. 2 Samuel 16, the traitor's counsel accepted. We're going to go to 2 Samuel 16. We're going to start in verse 15. If you'll read with me. Read with me as best you can on your phone or uh, following along with your life, however we need to do this. Uh, 2 Samuel 16, verses 15 through 23. A traitor's counsel accepted. This is what it says. Now Absalom and all the people, the men of Israel, came to Jerusalem and Ahithophel with him. And when Hushai the archite, David's friend, came to Absalom, Hushai said to Absalom, Long live the king! Long live the king! And Absalom said to Hushai, Is this your loyalty to your friend? Why don't you not go with your friend? And Hushai said to Absalom, No, for whom the Lord and this people and all the men of Israel have chosen, his I will be, and with him I will remain. And again, whom should I serve? Should it not be his son? As I have served your father, so I will serve you. Then Absalom said to Ahithophel, Give your counsel. What shall we do? Ahithophel said to Absalom, Go in to your father's concubines, whom he has left to keep the house. And all Israel will hear that you have made yourself a stench to your father, and the hands of all who are with you will be strengthened. So they pitched a tent for Absalom on the roof, 
And Absalom went into his father's concubines in the sight of all Israel. Now in those days, the counsel that Ahithophel gave was if one consulted the word of God. So was all the counsel of Ahithophel esteemed by David and by Absalom. So I'll try and catch up in the story just a little bit. A lot of the, a lot of the, the major points we'll kind of pick up as we go along. But just, just kind of so you know who Absalom is. Absalom is David's son. David is the king over God's people, the nation of Israel. He has been chosen by God to be king. He has been anointed by God to be king. But his son, Absalom, has raised up a conspiracy to overthrow David as king. And it looks like it's working. Absalom is, is already coming into Jerusalem, which is the capital city. David had to flee from Jerusalem to save his life and to save the people who were with him, to save their lives. And so Absalom comes into the city. Now the focal point of the, the passage that we're going to look at today are, are, centers around two characters. One is Ahithophel. He was one of David's counselors. But now he's a traitor. The other one is a man who is one of David's counselors, who was one of David's counselors, who shot, and he is David's friend, and he wanted to go with David, but David said to Hushai, you go back into the city and you act as a spy. David has the spy ring in the capital city of Jerusalem. And so Hushai is going to go back. So that's, that's where everything centers around, centers there on those two characters. That's the focal point of the action. And then you see that the first person that you see is, is Hushai. Absalom comes into the city with Ahithophel. Ahithophel is the traitor. He comes and meets Hushai. Hushai comes up to Absalom. Hushai is acting as the spy for David. He says, long live the king. Long live the king. There's a lot of double, double meaning in what Hushai says. Now when Hushai says, long live the king, long live the king, ostensibly he's saying it so, hey Absalom, I want you to live a long time. I want you to be the king. When in fact, he's probably in his mind meaning and intending David live. Long live the true king. Uh, this is actually what was uh, in one of the, the uh, coronation psalms for the king. It's, it says, long live the king. And so who should I say, long live the king, long live the king. And, uh, and Absalom uh, says to him, he's kind of making fun of Hushai's title and, you know, what kind of friend are you? You didn't go with your friend. What kind of, you're, you're nothing, you're no kind of friend. And, and Hushai says, but, but no, I would be with the one that God has chosen, that all Israel has chosen, that all Israel, that both God and all Israel have anointed as king. Now, there's only one who fits that description, and that's David. David was anointed to be king by God through the prophet Samuel in 1 Samuel 16. Later on in 2 Samuel, he's anointed by all of united Israel. They, they recognize David as their king. But look at the way Hushai is kind of playing Absalom. He's playing to Absalom's pride and Absalom's vanity. He says, long live the king. Uh, who wouldn't I want to serve? Uh, you're the king's son. Why wouldn't I want to serve you? Of course I want to serve you. And, and Absalom is proud and vain, and he thinks, oh, here I am in Jerusalem. I must be God's chosen one. And everybody else is on my side. Why wouldn't this guy want to join me? And, and of course, I mean, Absalom should be suspicious, but because he's proud and because he's haughty and because he's vain, he wants to believe all these things about himself. 
And so he falls for Hushai. Now, this is just one of the things that's more broader than just this section. But here's one of the things you should keep in mind. Is that throughout this whole section of 2 Samuel, we see, a, we see the way that people speak. And this is one of, two, two things that we should recognize. Number one, not everybody who tells you what you want to hear is doing it for your good. Absalom, he deceived Israel, all Israel, by telling them what they wanted to hear. Not because he was trying to do them good, because he was trying to get something for himself. Hushai here is telling Absalom what he wants to hear. Absalom's falling for it because he just wants to hear what he wants to hear. The flip side of that is that people who are telling you hard things that you don't necessarily want to hear are sometimes telling you that for your good. Nathan, 2 Samuel chapter 12, confronts David about his sin, his sin of adultery and murder. He's saying something that's hard that David doesn't want to hear, but he's saying it for David's good. Now, here's what's going to protect us and enable us to be helped by all these different kinds of ways that people speak to us. If we're humble. Absalom is tricked. He's deceived because he's proud and vain. And whenever somebody who is a flatterer who tells us everything that we want to hear about ourselves... They're appealing to our pride. They're appealing to our vanity. And they're going to deceive us. But if we're humble, Romans 12, 3 says that none of us should think more highly of ourselves than we, than we ought to. If we think of ourselves with sound judgment, if we are humble, then flatterers aren't going to trick us. And when somebody is saying something to help us, if we're humble, they're saying something to encourage us or even to correct us. If we're humble, then we're going to be helped by that. David humbles himself in 2 Samuel 12. David humbles himself in 2 Samuel 15 and 16. And so God uses words of Nathan or even somebody like Shimei, who is, is David's uh, enemy. He uses their words to help David because David is humble. We can be helped by other people's words, but only if we're humble. Now then, uh, Absalom uh, moves from talking with Hushai to uh, talking with Ahithophel. He says to Ahithophel, you tell me what to do. And Ahithophel tells, uh, tells Absalom, here's what you need to do. There are ten concubines uh, here that David has left to keep the house. And you ought to, uh, you ought to, you ought to sleep with them. In the ancient Near East, the idea was is that the one who controlled the harem, who controlled the king's wives, controlled the kingdom. And so Ahithophel says, hey, if you do this, then that's going to show, hey, you're going to burn all your bridges back to David. You're not going to go back to David. There's, 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 there's definitely not going to be any making up or, 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 or peace made. And you're going to show how strong you are to all the people who are on your side. And so Ahithophel says, hey, you, you go and do this. You, you go and sleep with David's wives. And so they pitch a tent on top of the roof. And there Absalom does what Ahithophel said. He sleeps with all of David's wives. We know why this happens. You flip back in your, your Bible. You can flip back to 2 Samuel 12 and read verses 11 and 12. 2 Samuel 12, verses 11 and 12. This is what it says. It says, Thus says the Lord, he's speaking to, to David through the prophet Nathan, he says, Thus says the Lord, Behold, 
I will raise up evil against you out of your own house. And I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. And he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. David had been walking on the rooftop of his palace. And he saw a woman that it was another man's wife. And he secretly took her and committed adultery with her. And then to cover up his act of adultery, he committed murder. He scorned God's word. He despised God. And because of that, he faces the consequences for his sin. And that is that here is someone from his own house, his own son, on the rooftop of the palace, not doing it in secret. Instead, he's sleeping with David's wives out there in front of everybody. Did David humble himself in 2 Samuel 12? He did. Did David find forgiveness of his sins in 2 Samuel 12? He did. Did that take away all of the consequences of David's sin? It did not. It did not. And David stands in a unique position as the king of Israel, similar to the way that Adam uh, stands in a unique position as the head of the whole human race. And so there's, something, there's some things that are unique about David, but I think the pattern holds true that if we despise God, if we scorn Him, if we, if we mock God the way that Paul says it in Galatians 6, if we sow evil or corruption, then we'll reap evil and corruption. That's what David is doing here. And if we continue in our sin, if we, if we mock God or presume upon God or, or scorn God or despise God, even when we repent and even after we find forgiveness of our sins and even after when we know that we will receive eternal life with God forever, where none of these hard things will be remembered, and yet we can sometimes face the consequences of our sin. Now I said that Adam and David were both unique. Here's the way that they were unique. Adam stood as the head of the whole human race. David stood as the head of the whole human race. And there is one other. We don't stand after their pattern. But there is one who stands after that same pattern. Jesus Christ. Through one man's disobedience. Through Adam's disobedience. All were made to be sinners. And to be counted as sinners. And to, be, uh, to face death. For their sin. Through the act of one man, Jesus Christ, through his obedience and his death, many are made to be counted as righteous. Many of us find forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Many of us find eternal life with Jesus Christ. We trust in him. David is the head of the whole kingdom of Israel. When he sins, he brings hardship upon himself. But he doesn't just bring hardship upon himself. He brings war to the kingdom. The whole kingdom is divided between him and Absalom because of David's sin. There's one other king who stands in that same kind of relationship to his people. That's Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Christ. He is the anointed king. And he, by his righteousness, by his obedience, he brings many of us not into, not into war, but into peace with God. Sometimes... We find ourselves facing the consequences of our sin. It's hard to even lift our heads. What we need to know is that when it comes 
time for eternity, if we trust in Jesus Christ, we, we find no condemnation before God, but instead life and righteousness and peace, reconciliation forever and ever. It's, it's one good reason to be motivated not to sin is to not face consequences for your sin. But there's a bigger question at play here. Will we be condemned by God on the day of judgment? And the answer needs to be that, that if we trust in Christ, the answer is no. We'll, we're reconciled to God. We're justified before God. We're righteous before God. We're forgiven before God. And God is ready to, he's ready to forgive the same way that he forgives David. He's even ready to deliver us the same way he delivers David in this passage. David says at one point that the Lord delivered him from every adversity. God also is ready to deliver us from every adversity, deliver us over and over again, and ultimately deliver us from our sin. So trust in him. One other thing to think about here is we've, we've kind of looked a little bit about at Absalom. We've looked a little bit about Absalom listening to Hushai, Absalom listening to Ahithophel. Why does Absalom... Why does Absalom accept Hushai into his council? Why does he, why does he ask Ahithophel? Ahithophel is, is planning something evil against David. God is, uh, Ahithophel is not trying to be faithful to David. I mean, I'm not trying to be faithful to God. But God is using Ahithophel's evil intent and Absalom's evil intent to work out his purposes. God rules over all these actions. God is working through all these actions. God is, has ordained that all these things would take place. And God is working all these things. It's hard for us to think that David is suffering because God ordained it. But it's true. What we also see is that God ordained that Hushai would be right there in the middle. For eventually the, 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 the end of all this. David's deliverance from all this situation. Now, sure, Hushai is wise. Hushai knew what he was doing. Hushai spoke wise words. On a human level, that's what we're looking at. But on another level, there's something much more important happening. God is behind all of this. God is working all these things out. And he's working them out for the best of all possible worlds. Might be hard to believe when we, in the situations that we find ourselves, but that is what God is working. He is working out the, the best of all possible worlds for us and ultimately for his glory. So we see there, we see the, the traitor's counsel accepted. Next, we see the traitor's counsel rejected. Uh, pick up in verse 23 of 2 Samuel 16. I want to read that again. Verse 23, and then we'll read into chapter 17. This is what it says. Now, in those days... The counsel that Ahithophel gave was, if, was as if one consulted the word of God. So it was all the counsel of Ahithophel esteemed, both by David and by Absalom. Moreover, Ahithophel said to Absalom, let me choose 12,000 men and I will arise and pursue David tonight. I will come upon him while he is weary and discouraged and throw him into a panic. And all the people who are with me will flee. I will strike down only the king. And I will bring all the people back to you as a bride comes home to her husband. You seek the life of only one man. And all the people will be at peace. And the advice seemed right in the eyes of Absalom and all the elders of Israel. And then Absalom said, Call Hushai the archite also, and let us hear what he has to say. And when Hushai came to Absalom, Absalom said to him, Thus has Ahithophel spoken. Shall we do as he says? If not, you speak. Then Hushai said to Absalom, 
This time, the counsel that Ahithophel has given is not good. Hushai said, Do you know that your father and his men are mighty men, and that they are enraged like a bear robbed of her cubs in the field? Besides, your father is expert in war. He will not spend the night with the people. Behold, even now he has hidden himself in one of the pits or in some other place, and as soon as some of the people fall with the first attack, whoever hears it will say, There's been a slaughter among the people who follow Absalom. Then even the valiant man, whose heart is like the heart of a lion, will utterly, will utterly melt with fear. For all Israel knows that your father is a mighty man, and that those who are with him are valiant men. But my counsel is that all Israel be gathered to you from Dan to Beersheba, as the sand by the sea for multitude, and that you go to battle in person. So we shall come upon him in some place. Where he is to be found, and we shall light upon him as the dew falls on the ground, and of him and all the men with him, not one will be left. If he withdraws into a city, then all Israel will bring ropes to that city, and we'll, we shall drag it into the valley until not even a pebble is to be found there. And Absalom and all the men of Israel said, The counsel of Hushai the archite is better than the counsel of Ahithophel. For the Lord had ordained to defeat the good counsel of Ahithophel. So the Lord might bring harm upon Absalom. Pick up there at the verse 23. I think everything is supposed to be read in light of verse 23. People listened to Ahithophel. This is how wise Ahithophel was. When he spoke, it was like, it was like you, you went to the priest and you asked God what to do. If Ahithophel told you to do it, you better do it. And that's the way you're supposed to read verses 1 through 4. And Ahithophel, his, his counsel is really short. Hey, let me take 12,000 men. Probably that's supposed to symbolize maybe 1,000 men from each tribe. That is, all of Israel is, is on Absalom's side. And, and so let me, let me go down there. And we're only after one man. Think about how, how smart this is. All we have to do is kill David. If we kill David, the resistance is over. The people who are with David, they don't have anything else to fight about, they don't have anybody else to fight with, they'll come over to your side, you're the next in line for the kingdom anyway, let me go and find David, let me kill David, and then I'll bring everybody back home to you, and everybody, that'll be the end of the war, that'll be the end of the resistance, that'll be the end of the rebellion against you as the king, and, and every, you'll be the king, Absalom, you'll be the one in charge. And, and, and Ahithophel says this, and Absalom and all of his elders look around at one another and they kind of nod at one another. Sounds good. Sounds really good. No war. Absalom's king. David's dead. It's exactly what we want. And you know, if you if you only read that far and kind of I wish we kind of could could had time to just kind of read that far and then stop and think about what's going to happen because you think about it, it's from from just what we've read so far just through verse 4, how's it look for David? He's in the lion's mouth. He's going to die. This is like, like we know from, from uh, verse 14 in chapter 16. Chapter 16, verse 14, that David is tired. We know that all the people who are with him are tired. We know that he's had somebody run along the road, cursing him the whole way. We know that, that David had to leave in a hurry. He's disorganized. 12,000 men falling upon David just like that. That's going to be the end of David. But then Absalom says, well, let's hear what Hushai has to say also. Why does Absalom want to know? 
I can't explain it. Why? 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 How can how can you explain that? There, there's no human level way for me to explain how how, how do some things just happen to happen? We know how it happens, right? But let's keep reading. Calls in Hushai. Now think about this. Hushai, Hushai really is the man whose life is on the line. He's standing before Absalom. He has to speak for David without appearing to speak for David to appear to be working for Absalom while in fact working for David. And so he can't just come out and say, hey, Ahithophel's wrong, the way we always know that Ahithophel's wrong, Ahithophel's a fool, don't listen to Ahithophel. He says, Ahithophel is, I think, this time, Ahithophel, he's just, you know, everybody makes mistakes. Everybody gets it wrong sometimes. And so I think this time, Ahithophel, he's not right. He's not good. Think about all the ways that, all the things that Hushai says, they all appeal to Absalom's fears, his anxieties, his vanity. In all the times that David was, was on the rise, on, on the run from Saul for his life, but on the rise to become king, God was right there along with him, taking away his fears. That's not the case for Absalom. Absalom has fears. He has anxieties. He also has pride. He also has vanity. And so Hushai says, you know, David, he's a man of war. He's got all his mighty men around him. He's got all these men who are working for him. They know this is the last time that you want to come upon David. He's going to be enraged. He's going to be like a, like a mama bear. Somebody, somebody messed with her cubs. And, and he's, going to, he's going to be enraged. And you know he's a great uh, strategist. He knows how to, how to plan things. And so he's probably setting up an ambush for you right now. If you're Absalom... And you're not a man who's been in battle very much. And you're not somebody who's been at war. This is playing on your fears. On, on Absalom's insecurities. I, I probably better not go to war against David. I probably better not sneak up on David. Because he'll probably have a plan for that. And then you also have to think. You know, Lots of times when we're talking to people. Uh, we think that they're thinking like we think. And so... Hushai says to Absalom, and you know you're not going to be able to find David because David's not going to be with the people. He's probably hiding in a hole someplace away from the people. That is, he's ready to let the people get slaughtered even while he stays safe. You know who would do that? Absalom. And so you know who finds it really easy to believe that David is hiding away from the people? Absalom. Then he says, you know what we ought to do? We'll get together this great big army and you'll go out in battle in person. You'll uh, think of the gallantry and the, 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 the festivities and the ceremony and the way they'll look for you, Absalom, to ride out at the head of this great big army. And we're going to fall on David like white on rocks. We're going to get him. We're not going to just kill David. We're going to kill all of them. And if he goes and hides in some city, we're going to have every person in, in Israel come and throw up a rope on the walls and just pull the whole thing down until, there, until there's not one pebble left. You know who thinks that's a really great idea? Absalom. 
Absalom thinks, oh, that'll, that'll show my glory. That'll show what a great king I am. If, I, if I'm at the head of a great big army and I pull down this great city and I wipe out all David and all of his supporters, man, that's what I want. I want you to think about two different levels here, okay? Hushai is speaking very wisely. Speaking wise words. That's, that's human agency. That's a, that's, a, that's a wise man speaking wisely. He's saying all the right things in all the right ways. He knows the man that he's speaking to. You think about how, how, how is Hushai made? How is Absalom? What are their characters like? They're working in a way that is consistent with their characters. And yet, we know that there's another level. We know what David says in chapter 15, verse 31. You can probably look there. It's on the same page. You maybe have to flip the page. 1531 says, and, and it was told David, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, O Lord, please turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. Number one, David doesn't have to hear that news, but he does. Then David prays that prayer. Then Hushai shows up. Hushai, Hushai had to be moving even before David prayed the prayer, but Hushai shows up after David prayed the prayer. Then Hushai, David has the, the, the idea to send Hushai back. Sends Hushai back. Hushai is accepted by Absalom. Hushai, Hushai is listened to by Absalom. Ultimately, Hushai is the one who turns Absalom. Who did all that? God did that. God's working in all that. Well, we even see that in chapter 17. Look at verse 14. Look in the middle of the sentence. For the Lord had ordained to defeat the good counsel of Ahithophel, so the Lord might bring harm upon Absalom. Even think about the way that David's prayer works. David's, David's prayer was that Ahithophel's counsel would be foolish. Ahithophel's counsel was not actually foolish. Strategically speaking, his counsel was uncannily good. And yet God ordained that Hushai's counsel would counteract Ahithophel's counsel. You know, often when you pray, God hears what you pray. He knows what you need even before you ask. He knows what you need even better than what you ask. And sometimes when we ask God for something good, he gives us something even better. And God worked everything out the right way, consistent with what David had asked, and yet better than what David had asked. Now also, you see that um, the Lord ordained to defeat the council of Ahithophel so the Lord might bring harm upon Absalom. <coughs> Absalom was a rebel against God's anointed king. And you know what God's disposition is toward those who are against his king? He has a terrible plan for their life. He, he intends to do harm against them. And so it is for those who are against God's king now, Jesus Christ. For those who are against God's king, it is 
that they will be broken with a rod of iron. That's Psalm 2. Or that the wrath of God is still upon them. That's John 3. Or Matthew 25. Their destination is to the hell prepared for the devil and his angels. If you are against God and his king, God, God's disposition toward you at this moment is to do you harm. Not temporarily, but eternally. I want to make that clear that there is judgment coming for those who are against God. Now, I also want to make it clear it doesn't have to be that way. What, what needs to happen is that today is the day, even in the dark, to join up with Jesus. Now, this is what happens when you join up with Jesus. You join up with Jesus... And today you live in exile. Just like David is here. Jesus Christ is the rejected king of Israel. Jesus Christ is the one who was rejected by men. But God made him the cornerstone. He made him to be the one who was raised from the dead. The foundation of the kingdom of God. The foundation of his people. And God raised him from the dead. And even now... Jesus Christ reigns. His reign is hidden to the world, to those who are blinded, to those who are unbelieving. But his reign is real and is going to be revealed on the day of his return. Today is the day to join up with the king who's going to win in the end. This world has many so-called gods, many so-called kings, many so-called kingdoms, so many, many things that people live for. If you're going to be there at the end, if you are going to live eternally, today is the day to join up with Jesus, who is God's chosen king, and to live for the kingdom that is coming and not the kingdoms that are. The kingdom that is, the kingdoms that are, are going to fall. Contrary to all appearances, it, it appears in this chapter, it appears like Absalom's going to win. It looks like the kingdoms of the world, it always is going to look like the kings of the world are going to win. They're not. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. He overcame death. And he's coming again. You can join his side. Now what that means is you live in exile. The way Peter describes our condition here in this world. We are, as Paul says in Philippians 3, we are citizens in heaven. Here we're exiles. We're just living here for a little while. We're passing through. We're living for the kingdom that is going to come. Today we live in exile. Tomorrow we come back to the city of God where God's king, Jesus Christ, will rule forever in peace and righteousness. That is, that is the desire of every human heart. That is the hope of everyone who wants peace, of everyone who wants righteousness, who wants everything to be made right. Your hope is in Jesus Christ. Amen. Believe in him. Trust in him. Find peace, find a future, find hope in him. The last thing that we see is the end of treason. The end of treason. Pick up in verse 15. We'll read through verse 23. It says, Then Hushai said to Zadok and Abiathar the priest, Thus and so did Ahithophel counsel Absalom and the elders of Israel, 
and thus and so have I counseled. Now therefore send quickly and tell David, do not stay tonight at the fords of the wilderness, but by all means pass over, lest the king and all the people who are with him be swallowed up. Now Jonathan and Ahimaaz were waiting at Enrogel. A female servant was to go and tell them, and they were to go and tell King David, for they were not to be seen entering the city. But a young man saw them and told Absalom, so both of them went away quickly and came to the house of a man at Baharim, who had a well in his courtyard, and they went down into it. And the woman took and spread a covering over the well's mouth and scattered grain on it, and nothing was known of it. When Absalom's servants came to the woman at the house, they said, Where are Ahimaaz and Jonathan? And the woman said to them, They have gone over the brook of water. And when they had sought and could not find them, they returned to Jerusalem. After they had gone, the men came up out of the well and went and told King David. They said to David, Arise and go quickly over the water, for thus and so has Ahithophel counseled against you. Then David arose and all the people who were with him, and they crossed the Jordan. By daybreak, not one was left who had not crossed the Jordan. When Ahithophel saw that his counsel was not followed, he saddled his donkey and went off home to his own city. He set his house in order and hanged himself. And he died and was buried in the tomb of his father. Now, in verse 15, verses 15 through 20, you have to understand that from, from Hushai's perspective, he doesn't know, maybe, maybe Absalom hasn't made his judgment, hasn't decided what he's going to do, or maybe he doesn't tell Hushai what his, what his decision is. So Hushai goes over to Zadok and Abiathar, who are the priests, who are also a part of the spy ring inside Jerusalem, and they tell, they, they're supposed to be sending messages to, to David through their sons, who are Ahimaaz and Jonathan. Their sons are living a, a, a couple miles away from Jerusalem. They're not supposed to go into Jerusalem. They're trying to, so there's like a drop-off. I don't know if you ever, maybe none of you watch spy movies and stuff, but you know, like they hide stuff underneath the park bench or whatever. Well, this is what's happened. So they're, they're going to send out the female servant out to Ahimaaz and out to Jonathan, and they're going to make the, they're going to make the exchange, and they're going to make the switch, they're going to make the drop off. And uh, it's all working out, but because it's all working out, don't forget this, Hushai knows what Ahithophel's counsel is, so he can help David. And he's also given different counsel so he can help David. It's all working out, but somebody sees him. And so alerts Absalom's men. Absalom's men are, are on, the, on the tail of Ahimaaz and, and Jonathan. And Ahimaaz and Jonathan go into this, this man's, they go into this man's uh, courtyard. And there there's a, a well. So they go down into the well. The, 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 probably the man's wife covers up the well and throws some, some uh, straw and, and, and wheat and stuff on top of it to cover it up, to disguise it. And the men come by. And, uh, and, and she says, uh, they're not here. They passed over you know, this little uh, brook of water. They, they went out that way. They, they went that way. Okay? All right? So, so, um, so they, they, can't, they don't find them. Why is, that, why, is, why is that little paragraph in there? I mean, that's not, necessary, it's not exactly necessary to the story. But don't you see God at work? Don't you? I mean, don't you see God... There's a man. There's a, there's a man who is sympathetic to David. There's a woman who's sympathetic to David, who hides these spies in her well, covers it up, and points the men in the other direction. Try, try the best that you can to feel what Ahimaaz and Jonathan are feeling at the moment. 
maybe what David is feeling overall. Now, it's all well and good for us to say, you know, God uses all things for good. When we know that if we were Ahimaaz and Jonathan, our adrenaline would be pumping, our, our blood would be pumping, we'd be like, Oh, Lord, help me. Oh, Lord, help me. I mean, that, that's all we'd be thinking. We'd be running for our lives. We would be kicking up our heels. We, I mean, we would be running as fast as we could because we thought that there was, we were about to die. Now, our situations are not, maybe not normally that extreme. But some days, sometimes you get something in the mail or you get a report or you find out something or, or something happens to you. God help me. I mean, I'm about to die. There's no hope in front of me. And it's hard to be comforted by God works all things for good. But I want you to see in the adrenaline rush, blood pumping, near death experience of Jonathan and Ahimaaz a good reason for you to be comforted today. That God is with you. And God is working all these things for your good. Now, what God is working for good is he is ultimately working all these things for David's good. Because what happens to David? David, all the people who are with him, get across to the other side. They're saved. They're delivered. They're delivered. A lot of, a lot of twists and turns on the way to deliverance. There are, lot, there are a lot of twists and turns in our lives on the way to deliverance. You just have to expect that. You have to be prepared for that. You should brace yourself for that. You should, you, should, you should look into the future and know that you don't know the future and you can't know the future. But God is going to be for you. He's going to be for you all the way to the end. And it's, going to, it's, not, going to, it's not going to be a straight line to the kingdom of God. Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And so we're ready to... To go all the way, to endure all the way, and all the time know that God is for us. Now what God is working for the good of David, he's also working for the harm of Absalom. If you're against God and his king, God's not working for you. He's working against you. You're working against Absalom. Absalom's not going to get David. I mean, they, they haven't, they're not, we haven't gotten to the battle. We'll get to the battle later. But we already know who's going to win. The Lord had ordained harm toward Absalom because Absalom was a traitor. And this here, you look at verse 23, we even see what happens to Ahithophel, the traitor. What is his end? Ahithophel. Wise man that he is, maybe he knows David's going to win now. Maybe he knows it's hopeless. Or maybe he just thought he was going to be the puppet master behind Absalom and Absalom was going to do whatever he said. He can't live with not being that puppet master. Whatever it is, Ahithophel gets on his donkey or his mule, rides back to his hometown, gets all his stuff together, and hangs himself. Those who betray God and his king, unless they repent, that's your end. We know that there's another man 
who betrayed God's king. Judas, the 30 pieces of silver. And he doesn't repent. He tries to go throw the money back, but he, he doesn't repent. He doesn't, he doesn't come back to Jesus. He doesn't, he doesn't find forgiveness. Instead, he goes out and he, he hangs himself. The traitor who does not repent, that's their end. The Bible actually has something to say about those who are hanged. Deuteronomy 21 talks about that the, the one who is hanged on a tree is cursed by God. And so you see Ahithophel here. It's a traitor against God's king who is hanged on a tree. Cursed by God. You see, Judas does not repent. Goes out. He, he hangs himself. He's cursed by God. There's still one other person who is hung on a tree and cursed by God. Jesus Christ was hung on a tree. And he took on himself the curse of God for our treachery. We're traitors. We're the ones who have betrayed our creator. We have rebelled against his word. We turned against him. We wanted to rule ourselves. We wanted to be the king. But Jesus Christ, he went to the cross and he bore the curse of God, not because of his own sins, but because of ours. And he bore our curse on the cross so that we might be redeemed. That is, the price for our sins can be paid by Jesus Christ on the cross. He can take our curse. He can take the judgment of God upon us. He did. He took the curse of God on all of us who will ever turn from our sins and trust in Jesus Christ. You don't have to bear your own curse. Jesus Christ bears the curse for those who believe in him. Who are united to him by faith. Turn from your sin. Put your trust in Jesus Christ. He is the curse bearer. He's the one who bears the penalty. He's the one who takes on himself our sin. So that he can even say to the guy who's hanging on a tree next to him. Today you'll be with me in paradise. Jesus Christ can say that. To, you will, the, the man said, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. Trust in Jesus Christ. His kingdom has come. It is coming. What kingdom are you living for? Live for Jesus Christ and his kingdom. He will be the curse bearer. And he is the eternal life giver. Trust in him. Let's pray together. Uh, Father how wonderful is your divine plan for the restoration of all things and the redemption of human beings made in your image to your glory we are unworthy 
we are every bit as, as deserving of the curse as Ahithophel or Judas or any other traitor. And yet you are God who is merciful and gracious toward the weak, toward the humble. Please grant that we would find hope in you. And we would put our faith in you and in your son, Jesus Christ, and his kingdom and the coming of his kingdom. Please strengthen us to endure every day, to endure every tribulation, to endure uh, every obstacle <coughs> so that however, however we might have to run, however, whatever we might have to go through to enter into the kingdom of God, we will be ready to endure all the way. We praise your wisdom. Thank you that you have shown yourself both just in pouring out your curse for sin on Jesus and at the same time merciful in redeeming us through the blood of Jesus. Grant that we would put our trust in him. That all of us would find our hope in him. That all of us would find endurance for the race and we'd find strength. And that our clarity about what kingdom we're living for would, would be crystal clear to us. Where our allegiance is, it's with Jesus. No other kingdom, no other king but Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.